Nick Gage. Oh, the what? Jericho with the mist. Mist? The mist into the eyes of Nick Gage. That's a great Moody's mist. I can know it anywhere. And oh, the bundle of light tubes. And the Judas. Oh, no, 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 no. Score. Kick out, Nick. Kick. God damn it. Jericho wins. Jericho wins. Those were the sounds of Chris Jericho and Nick Gage having a hardcore death match at Fight for the Fallen on Wednesday night. This is the Spoiler Free Wrestling Podcast. I'm your host, Gentleman Ian, and I've got about 25 different news updates to go over with you here from the last week in the world of professional wrestling. But of course, we will omit any news or reports which could potentially spoil future shows for you. And we do have to start with a news story that stems from that Chris Jericho versus Nick Gage match at Fight for the Fallen. So during this match, at one point Nick Gage is carving away at 50-year-old Chris Jericho's forehead with a pizza cutter. At that very moment, AEW switches to picture-in-picture. This is in the United States. This didn't happen in Canada while I was watching, but... In the United States, it switches to picture-in-picture. And what product is advertised at the very same time that Nick Gage is using a pizza cutter on poor Chris Jericho's forehead but Domino's Pizza? And a lot of people found this pretty funny. One of those people was Saturday Night Live's Michael Che, who actually tweeted out some video of him watching it with the caption... You know, something to do with product placement or, or, or something along those lines. But then, the following day, on Thursday, which is the day that always comes after Wednesday, Domino's released a statement to a website called Front Office Sports. Now, Front Office Sports is like a sports business news website. It's not very large, but anyway. They released this statement to front office sports regarding uh, what happened. So they said, or wrote, we share the concerns expressed about this incident and the content of this TV 14 rated program and are assessing our advertising presence on it going forward. So this quote is a little strange in that it says, we share the concerns expressed about this incident, but up until this article, with them quoted regarding their concerns with this incident, there's nobody else expressing concerns about whose concerns are they sharing? I guess it would be just the concerns of Jim Cornette? Maybe. Who knows? But anyway, so they they write this, we share the concerns expressed about this incident and the content of this TV-14 rated program and are assessing our advertising presence on it going forward. That's the only thing That has ever been said by Domino's on this uh, incident. And other people have been trying to contact them for clarification. Whose concerns are you sharing? What was said to you that, that led to this statement? And Domino's has not responded to anybody. Now Nick Gage put out a tweet that a lot of people thought was kind of funny. He wrote... I tried to cut Jericho's scalp off. My bad, TMZ. It is what it is, but yeah, thanks. 
AEW and thanks all MDK gang members. We showed them what's up. And also, sorry, Dominoes. Didn't mean to offend you. Guess I'm too ultra-violent for TV. Oh, well. All my new fans come see me at GCW. It's MDK all effing day. And so while Domino's wasn't entirely pleased with what happened, Paps Blue Ribbon seemed to really get on board with what happened. So they've been all over Twitter responding to threads that are on this story, uh, kind of making fun of Domino's. They tweeted, yo, AEW at TNT, let us get those spots. And they tweeted out a picture of a pizza cutter with a Paps Blue Ribbon logo on it. They tweeted out a picture of them deleting Domino's from their uh, home screen and with the caption, Future Endeavored. So, Paps Blue Ribbon has decided this was something they were going to jump on and see if, if they could get some good PR over this. Uh, now, there is an update to this story. This The article on Front Office Sports was updated on Friday afternoon with some new information. And this is what they wrote. On Friday afternoon, sources said Warner Media's ad sales team was trying to mend fences with Domino's and its agency partners. Arguing the placement was an unfortunate coincidence, Warner Media hopes the, the world's largest pizza company... Is Domino's really the world's largest pizza company? Anyway... Warner Media hopes the world's largest pizza company will again buy commercial time on TNT's next AEW Dynamite telecast on August 4th. Now there is even more than meets the eye to this story. A reporter by the name of David Bixenspan. Uh, he's done some... He did some research for the Dark Side of the Ring uh, docuseries. And he was the guy who printed all those articles about... Drake Wirtz being a uh, being a bit of a Q plus player, uh, David Bixen Span decided to to delve into this a little bit. He thought that the article that came out seemed a little sketchy, and here are some of the things that he wrote on his Babyface versus Heels uh, blog or, or or newsletter that he has. He wrote. The second subheadline claimed that Domino's was threatening to pull ads from AEW telecasts on TNT, even though their quote from a Domino's spokesperson contained the much mild assertion that they are assessing our advertising presence on Dynamite going forward. Um, he continues, That statement from Domino's begins with, We share the concerns expressed about this incident and the content of this TV-14 rated program. Even though the article does not lay out any examples of anyone having concerns about it before Front Office Sports reached out to them. An email sent to Domino's on Thursday night asking for clarification on the wording of their statement has been left unanswered. He goes on to talk about how the article also mentioned that fans were being turned off by these ultra-violent uh, matches when the truth is AEW's ratings have been increasing quite a bit lately. And we'll get more into how AEW did in the ratings uh, at a later story. So, now, even more information has come out later. David Bixenspan is now saying a mainstream reporter who does not normally cover WWE or professional wrestling reached out and provided a screenshot to share that WWE had contacted them about writing an article on the Domino's AEW situation. The, so here's what he wrote. 
There does appear to be something to this. According to a screenshot shared with Babyface versus Heel, a reporter from a mainstream publication in reaching out about the story explicitly said that WWE had contacted them about writing an article on the Domino's AEW situation. So the allegation here is that WWE is wanting to cause problems with AEW sponsors by contacting media to contact the sponsors and say, aren't you outraged by what your what the the type of show that you're advertising on. Also, as it concerns Vince McMahon and WWE's attitude towards AEW, WWE had an earnings call on Thursday as well, so just hours before this article from Front Office Sports came out, where they specifically said that AEW is not competition in the way that WCW was. So this is what Vince McMahon said in response to a question about if AEW is similar to WCW and will this lead to a rising tides lift all boats kind of situation similar to what happened during the Monday Night War. And this is what Vince McMahon said. Well, it certainly is not a situation where rising tides because that was when Ted Turner was coming after us with all of Time Warner's assets as well. That was a different situation. AEW is where they are. I don't really know what their plans are. All I know is what our plans are. I don't consider them competition in the way that I would consider WCW back in the day. Not anywhere near close to that. And I think most people who experience the Monday Night Wars would sort of agree with that in terms of AEW and WWE is not the war that WCW and WWF used to be. That was a real nasty, nasty conflict between two companies that were doing things behind each other's back. They were taking each other to court. They were trying to harm one another. There was probably a bunch of contract tampering. There was a, probably a lot of stuff that we don't even know about. But then I started to think, if, this, if, if these allegations that WWE was contacting media to get them to run with an AEW Domino's story about them running off media, then this is the war. This is the war that that used to be. We, we've, we've graduated to that stage where now one company is tampering with the sponsors of another company. Now we're at war. This is way more like what the Monday Night Wars used to be. Everything between AEW and WWE up until this point was fairly cordial. Tampering with each other's sponsors, that's not cordial. That's not cordial at all. It's actually something that Vince McMahon has a bit of a history with. And I want to share with you something that was printed a long, long time ago in the Wrestling Observer. It was a letter that Vince McMahon sent to Ted Turner on February 8th, 1996, regarding WCW being too violent of a promotion. And so this was published in the Wrestling Observer newsletter. And it is allegedly a letter that Vince McMahon sent to Ted Turner in February of 96. Dear Ted, since there has been no response to my repeated request that you and your pro wrestling company, he spelt it wrestling, W-R-A-S-S-L-I-N, to my repeated request that you and your pro wrestling company stop the practice of self-mutilation, I can only assume based upon the last two weeks of Nitro that the practice of self-mutilation 
slicing oneself with a razor blade, is not only condoned, but encouraged. As you know, Hulk Hogan has been bleeding all over the place the past two weeks. There have been numerous references on your wrestling programming that this weekend's double cage match will be so violent that one opponent will be bleeding to the point of no recognition. This encouraged practice of self-mutilation is disgusting, violent, potentially infectious, and completely con contradictory to your testimony before Congress in June of 1993 and contrary to your 1995 participation of Voices Against Violence. Notwithstanding numerous unprecedented predatory practices against the World Wrestling Federation, if you continue to promote self-mutilation, I hope your stockholders hold you accountable for this unethically, guttural, potentially unhealthy practice. Wow! Now that's a war between two companies. When you're sending letters like that between each other, you two companies are at war. It actually doesn't even stop there. So Eric Bischoff, has talked about this on his podcast. He's talked about Vince McMahon sending letters to WCW all the time and, and trying to get Ted in trouble with his stockholders. This is what Eric Bischoff said about these letters that Vince McMahon would, would send to the Turner offices. Bischoff said, Whenever a letter would come to Ted, Bill Shaw would call me and have me come to his office and read it to me, show it to me, and laugh about it or ask about it. Vince was petitioning a lot for Ted. He was trying to embarrass Ted, trying to create some anxiety with the shareholders of Turner Broadcasting. Vince was trying to create some unrest and anxiety by being very, very critical about WCW. Whenever you'd see blood in WCW, Vince would write these letters from the King's Court to Ted criticizing him and WCW and the health and welfare of the talent by saying it's gross, it's crap, and all of this. And then he'd turn around and do the same thing a month later. None of us took any of those letters very seriously, and it was pretty obvious what Vince was trying to do. We all just chuckled about it. So, it seems like some more than 25 years later, after Vince was sending these letters to Ted Turner about the blood and guts on his program, something very similar is happening now with Vince McMahon and All Elite Wrestling. <laughs> Let's go over the television ratings for the big shows in wrestling this week. We'll start with the July 23rd episode of SmackDown. We don't have the ratings for the July 30th episode of SmackDown since it just aired the night after I'm recording this. So it was a little bit down from last week. So if you remember last week, SmackDown saw a huge rating ratings bump for, or sorry, not talking about last week. The first week they were back out on the road on July 16th. They got a huge rating for the return of live crowds. They did 2.3 million and a 0.66, which is really high um, in the key demographic. And so that's up currently. Their 10-week average is just under 2 million and a 0.51 in the key uh, demographic. So this week they were a little bit down from where they were, but still uh, up from where they were in the Thunderdome. So... They were at 2,137,000 average viewers and a 0.55 in the 18 to 49 demographic. So that's still up from what they've been averaging over the last 10 weeks. And so SmackDown continues to be the most watched professional wrestling show on television right now. 
So moving from SmackDown to this week's episode of Raw. And Raw this week, they were... they. It's the same pattern as what SmackDown was. They're up from what they're used to, but they're down from last week's return to to live crowds. If you remember on the show last week, we talked about how television ratings were up across the board. The other thing factoring into this is that there's Olympic coverage right now. Um, I mean, there there's Olympic coverage now. There was NBA playoffs before. So like, there's always something, but Olympics, Olympics are kind of big. I, I don't know if you were familiar with them, but the Olympics, kind of popular, kind of popular. Anyway, so Raw this week did 1,800,000 114,000 viewers and a 0.49 in the 18 to 49 demographic. So keep keep that 0.49 number in in the back of your head here. So their 10 week average is just under 1.7 million and a 0.46 in the 18 to 49 demographic. So what's after Raw? Then we go Tuesday night is NXT. So NXT kind of, sort of, doesn't really count for the next bit. They're going to be on Sci-Fi uh, up until the second week of August. So being on Sci-Fi, their ratings were way down. They did 520,000 viewers and a 0.12 in the 18 to 49 demo. Those are the lowest that they've been in, in over 10 weeks. Their 10-week average is uh, around 680,000 viewers and a 0.17 in the 18 to 49 demo. Obviously, that's impacted by their poor ratings this week. However, again, the move to sci-fi is probably a not, uh, not a lot that you can take from the Dynamite ratings this week. Now, we go into some very interesting ratings, especially as it concerns the 18 to 49 demo, which is the demographic that advertisers are said to care most about. Uh, although we don't know if we don't know how Domino's feels about these things. Anyway, anyway, so AEW, much like the uh, much like WWE's shows, was way up last week with the return of live crowds. This week, the dip dip back down slightly in total viewership, but actually increased in terms of the key demographic. So they had one million one hundred eight thousand viewers this this week which is down from the uh, 1,148,000 viewers from last week. So they lost about 40,000 viewers. But they did a 0.45 in the 18 to 49 demographic, which is up 0.01 from last week. And both of those numbers are way up from their 10-week average. However, their 10-week average is impacted by the fact that they were all moved around uh, throughout the month of June there with the NBA playoffs. So... So I think it's notable they got a 0.45 in the key demographic, and you look at Raw. Raw only averages a 0.46 in the key demographic. So AEW is kind of not in total viewership. In total viewership, they're still like half a million viewers away from Raw. So that that's significant, right? Like um Raw currently averages 1.7 million. I, I, well, I mean, actually, they're they're even lower than that. I mean, Raw Raw has considerably more viewers than AEW does. Raw is clearly the second most watched wrestling program in the United States. However, 
that 18 to 49 demographic, they're not really holding that big of a lead on AEW anymore. Their av- Raw's average is 0.46, and AEW did a 0.45 this week. That's significant. So next up, we've got two stories which are refuting previous stories or are rumor killers or are just examples of how sometimes stories come out in wrestling media and they're just complete fiction. Just based on a hunch and some overheard information. Happens all the time. So let's start with some stuff that Tony Khan had to say um, on Busted Open Radio this week. So there had been some stories out there that AEW had flown to Chicago last weekend. And the article kind of speculated that they were doing this because they were going to film content from the United Center, and then they were going to announce this show at the United Center on August 20th, the first dance, which will be an episode of Rampage. So the information about the United Center turned out to be correct. So that because Tony Khan, or sorry, AEW would announce on Dynamite this week, on Fight for the Fallen, that on August 20th, they will be in Chicago. They will be in the United Center, where the Chicago Blackhawks and the Chicago Bulls play. They will be there. But Tony Khan goes on Busted Open Radio and said the story about him and the other EVPs having flown into Chicago that weekend was complete fiction. And so even though the story about the United Center was correct, just <laughs> some of the things that Tony Khan said on Busted Open Radio, I think goes a long way in illustrating some of the issues that occur in wrestling media that leads to false stories, that leads to information being spread that isn't true. So here's what Tony Khan said on Busted Open Radio about this story about him and the other EVPs flying to Chicago. Here's what he said. There's been a lot of false rumors out there. There are people chasing these things and trying to connect the dots. I know a lot of the stuff that has been reported in the last week has been totally false. There's this website Body Slam, for example. I saw them put out a report that myself and all the EVPs had traveled this past weekend, and it was total BS. None of us were even in the same state. And then Tony Khan went on for a little while about, well, of course, the Young Bucks were in the same state. They were both in California. But yeah, and, and, you know, he went on for a while about that. But anyway, so Tony Khan was saying, I was in Florida. I went to the Paige Van Zant bare-knuckled boxing fight, and I saw this report that I was in Chicago. So he goes on to say, it's, Like, it sounds like he then reached out to Body Slam. He doesn't say this. But this is what he said. It was total fiction. They tracked my family's plane. It was my parents on the plane. So basically saying, this guy got his story by tracking the the flight records of his family's private jet. But it wasn't Tony on the private jet. It was his parents. And how this led to the other EVPs being on the flight No one seems to know. So sorry, here's what Khan said. They tracked my family's plane. It was my parents on the plane. And then the guy claimed, oh, I know which tail number is yours and which which one's your parents. It was total fiction. And this guy got totally bamboozled by a fake source. And it was embarrassing. And there's been a lot of fake reporting like that the last couple of weeks. 
for those of you who have been listening to me for a while now, you know my stance on this. If the source is named, then it's news. If it's my sources are telling me or sources have confirmed with and all this like we've got an anonymous deep throat whistleblower going on like that's rumors and uh, and none of that stuff is, is you're not able to verify it and it not always but a an, a concerning percentage of the time these stories turn out to be fantasy fiction somebody has gotten a small amount of information and made broad generalizations and assumptions and then ran with it as a story other examples include someone reaching out to wrestlers backstage about somebody's injury status and it's like okay say somebody's injured in a ring then a website reaches out to some wrestlers they know backstage like what's the status on so-and-so's injury and they might say like Oh, I'm not really sure. Uh, somebody was saying that they think they sprained their ankle or whatever. And then a website runs a runs an article saying Natalia reported to have a sprained ankle or you know like something like that. That happens a lot. And so if there's no name attached, you have to treat it as a rumor. And so Tony Khan was calling out this website for for making the claim that he was in Chicago along with the EVPs based on tracking his parents' private jet. So, just so you know, sometimes those are the things that count as sources when you get stories like that. There's another example of this that happened this week. This one involves a report from What Culture. So, What Culture put out a report saying that Jeff Jarrett was one of the many names released by WWE back in April. And according to this report, Jared had been reaching out to other organizations regarding potential bookings. Now, not more than a couple hours after this story comes out, it is refuted. And there's a guy from Lucha Libre Online, probably speaking with Jared, who knows. And he wrote, well, he basically said, like, yes, you know, Jared's been reaching out to other organizations for potential bookings. But as part of his deal with WWE, he's allowed to take on outside work. So this isn't a case of he's looking for extra work because he was quietly released. He's just working for looking for extra work because shows are running again. So after I had finished recording the rest of this show, like this, this section that you're listening to right now was recorded like a few hours after the rest of it. Because I went to go see Little League Baseball before this podcast was released. And within that window of time, Bray Wyatt was released from WWE. Wyndham Rotunda. If you didn't know that Bray Wyatt's real name is Wyndham Rotunda, well, now you do. What a great real name. He's got the best real name in the history of wrestling, and he didn't even use it. Wyndham Rotunda. Of course, his uncle is Barry Windham, his father is Mike Rotunda, and together, Mike Rotunda and Barry Windham are former WWE Tag Team Champions. And one would later become a tax man, the other a stalker. There was some chicanery going on with both. But I couldn't believe that they released Bray Wyatt. But then again, they just released Braun Strowman not that long ago, too. So clearly, WWE is of the opinion that they can let go 
even their biggest stars right now. But the thing is, WWE keeps that character because they've they've taken the Bray Wyatt fiend character and thrown it onto Alexa Bliss. And now they've just released Bray Wyatt. So they can still benefit from that character, but now they don't have to pay Bray Wyatt anymore. And Mickey James put out a really great tweet that I think sums this up perfectly. I'm just going to drag out my words a little bit because I have to click on some links to load up her tweet so I can read it to you right now. I will read it from Twitter and then, ah, okay, here it is. All right, so Nikki James responds to WWE's tweet that they have released Bray Wyatt. So WWE's tweet says, WWE has come to... Come to terms on the release of Bray Wyatt. We wish him the best in all his future endeavors. To which Nikki says, I think what you meant to say was, thank you so much for coming up with such an incredible gimmick time and time again. One so cool and over, we really didn't know how to book it right. So we just gave it to someone else so we can still make all the money off of it and let you go. And that's basically, isn't that it? Isn't that what they've done? And Mickey just wanted to clear this up because she didn't want any... I mean, this isn't Alexa Bliss's fault, you know. And so Mickey James, just with a follow-up tweet after this, said, This isn't against Alexa. I love her. She's an incredible performer who is killing it in a role she was given. She always does. We as artists take every role we're given and turn it into gold. He, she, they both did that. Like it, like it or not, facts are facts. So sorry if that of offends you. But, I mean, she's absolutely right, is she not? Like, that's what they did. They moved the gimmick from Bray to Bliss, and then they released Bray. Huh. So this is quite the thing, and lots of people are reacting. But a guy who was such a major player in WWE for so long, to be just released just like that, you know? It just seems like... I don't know if WWE understands that every time they release someone who has a fan base, that entire fan base gets upset at them and are less. If you're a fan of Bray Wyatt, you are now less of a fan of WWE because of them releasing him. The next story that we should talk about concerns ticket sales for the AEW Rampage on August 20th in Chicago's United Center. So the United Center is an NBA and NHL building, right? It's where the Blackhawks play. It's where the Bulls play. So it seats like 20,000 for NHL, NBA. With the, the stage set up for wrestling, I mean, you're usually cutting off as much as like a quarter of the arena. Uh, but then you're kind of adding in some some ground level seats as well. So maybe like 15, 16,000, something like, so like it's a big arena. And the idea that they would be able to sell it out or do good ticket sales, a lot of people were a little worried that AEW wouldn't be able to sell a lot of tickets to this event. Now it's in Chicago. There's a lot of excitement in that city regarding wrestling these days. For instance, Raw is going to be in Chicago on Monday. It's going to be in the Allstate Arena, not the United Center. Uh, and they have like 13,000 tickets sold for that. And then 
in Chicago, they're doing Dynamite, Rampage, and then All Out in the first week of September. So now you're going to put this other August 20th show right smack dab in the middle between Raw and the big AEW events? Haven't all the wrestling fans in Chicago or traveling into Chicago, haven't they gotten their fill at this point? Evidently not. The pre-sale for tickets started yesterday, and they've already sold over 12,000 tickets in the pre-sale. Now, just remember how many, like, what a big deal 12,000 is. It can feel like 12,000 is not that big, but remember AEW started because All Out managed to get 10,000. That was Cody's big goal, was just selling out a 10,000-seat arena, or not even selling it out, just being in the 10,000-seat arena and having around 10,000 fans in there. That was their big goal. And when they achieved that goal, it, it was the genesis of a new wrestling promotion. That's how big just getting 10,000 was. They've got 12,000 on the pre-sale for the United Center. For Arthur Ashe Stadium on September 22nd, they've got over 16,000 tickets sold. So AEW is selling more tickets for wrestling events than any non-WWE company in the United States since WCW. Should be a very interesting show on August 20th, that episode of Rampage. So some good things going on business-wise for AEW. Uh, also, they announced that they're going to have a free sort of first dance kickoff party that you can attend if you're in Chicago. So there's there's that as well. And then just some little updates from AEW, and then we'll move on to news bits from other promotions. So Cash Wheeler, you probably saw this during the Santana and Ortiz versus FTR match on Dynamite this week. So Cash Wheeler, it was just like a little thing where he was knocked off the turnbuckle, but then he goes and he grabs his arm, and it turns out he has cut open this arm huge and he goes right to the medical team they go right to work on him stopping the bleeding and meanwhile in the match they go to the ending very quick with harwood hitting a brain buster getting a clean pin and then he goes out and checks on his partner so there's been updates on this from pw insider and the wrestling observer newsletter so nothing confirmed everything coming from uh, sources speaking on the condition of anonymity, but basically they're saying that he's fine. Uh, it was a very deep cut. Obviously, they had to to patch it up, but he's going to be okay, and it doesn't look like he's going to uh, miss any ring time. Although, again, this is not confirmed, but the rumors are that he he's going to be fine. They They dealt with the cut, and he's not expected to miss any time. Also, as it concerns AEW, Rio Mizunami tweeted out that she has actually been hospitalized with COVID-19. Um, we don't have any other updates. She sent that out earlier in the week. Uh, doctors admitted her to the hospital with an initial diagnosis of pneumonia. So we are we will keep you update updated on if there's any updates from her. 
But that update was sent on the 27th. And I'm just checking now to see if there's been anything else. And unfortunately, it looks like that's been the last communication from her official Twitter account. So definitely wishing all the best to Ryo Mizunami as she uh, battles pneumonia from COVID-19. Also on Dynamite this week, the third labor of Jericho was announced, and it will be Chris Jericho facing his old rival from WCW, Juventud Guerrera. And I think MJF mentioned something along the lines of um, Jericho, Jericho has to hit a move off the top rope to win the match. So anyway, I logged on to, I was like, I got to find out if Juventud Guerrero has commented on this. And yeah, his Twitter account has made numerous mentions to it. It's all, but basically he wrote, hashtag finally the juice is back. Then he said, I just want to say thank you to Tony Khan, Cody Rhodes, Young Bucks, AEW, hashtag let's get juicy, hashtag the juice, and the juice is about to get loose. So a lot of variations of thank you and the juice is about to be loose. But then in a later tweet, he also said he wants to dedicate the match to Eddie Guerrero. He said, thank you, my fans, my family, my friends. This is for you. I say it before I dedicate this match to Eddie Guerrero. And he also says, are you ready, Chris Jericho? This will be your last labor. It's payback time. And so Jericho and Chris Jericho, or sorry, Jericho and Juventude obviously had a very long rivalry in WCW. They had 22 different singles matches against each other, 11 of which were on WCW programming. Jericho holds a 17-5 edge in their head-to-head series. So we get Juventud Guerrero versus Chris Jericho next week on Dynamite, the third labor of Jericho. Also, just the last quick AEW news update. Kenny Omega was interviewed by the Wrestling Observer by Wrestling Observer Radio. And he mentioned that he's hoping Rampage can become like more of a showcase for the women wrestlers in AEW. And so he was quoted as saying, the content I think we're lacking is in our women's division. I would love to see Rampage be home to more women's wrestling. I feel like we have incredibly gifted female wrestlers that have been working very hard and fighting for a spot and maybe it's time for them to get more. He continued to say that it makes sense for Rampage to showcase these women a little bit more. And he said, I think the extra hour with Rampage, rather than give them more Chris Jericho, more Kenny Omega, more MJF, and the guys you know you're going to see on Dynamite, I'd rather give them all of the extremely talented individuals that maybe you don't get to see that week. So that was Kenny Omega, hoping to see a little bit more women's wrestling content when AEW presents Rampage starting on August 13th. So New Japan Pro Wrestling, well, they presented Russell Grand Slam last week, and they're building to another Russell Grand Slam uh, in September at the MetLife Stadium. They're also building towards uh, New Japan Resurgence on August 14th from the LA Coliseum. So we got matches lined up for each of those two events. So the, the MetLife Wrestle Grand Slam, they're doing two nights. Uh, the first night on September 4th, the second night on September 5th. Uh, so far, I believe they have only announced matches 
uh, as of this writing or reading anyway, um, they've only announced three matches, all of them which will take place on the second night of Russell Grand Slam. However, only three matches, but three, you know, fairly big matches. So after Shingo Takagi defeated Hiroshi Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom, he was then attacked by Evil. So that now sets up Shingo Takagi defending the IWGP World Championship against Evil. So that's your main event. Possibly the most exciting match or the match to look forward to the most is actually the junior heavyweight title match where Robbie Eagles is going to defend his newly won title against the returning Hiramu Takahashi. Also, uh, there will be a triple threat tag team match for the IWGP Heavyweight Tag Team Championships as the Dangerous Techers will defend against Naito and Sonata from LIJ, as well as a team from Chaos, Hiroki Goto, and Yoshihashi. So those are the three matches that New Japan Pro Wrestling announced for the MetLife Stadium Wrestle Grand Slam this week. But there was also some matches confirmed for NJPW Resurgence. And one of those matches was confirmed during AEW Dynamite when the show randomly flipped to a backstage promo from Hiroshi Tanahashi. Just out of the blue with no mention or, or no buildup whatsoever. Here's Toro Hiroshi Tanahashi on AEW Dynamite. And he announced that he wanted to uh, challenge for the IWGP United States Championship. That was later confirmed. It'll be Lance Archer versus Hiroshi Tanahashi and NJPW Resurgence. This led to John Moxley throwing a fit. And he talked in um, a backstage interview about how he'd been trying to get, he'd been trying to fight Tanahashi for the longest time. He couldn't get into Japan. And now on the first week since he's lost the U.S. title, Tanahashi's on dynamite challenging the champion. So something could be worked out. You know, Moxley seems like he's targeting Tanahashi, but Tanahashi's got the match with Lance Archer on August 14th. Moxley, however, would challenge the Good Brothers to a match on the Resurgent show on August 14th in a video also recorded at Dynamite, but posted on New Japan Pro Wrestling's social media. Moxley challenged the Good Brothers, said he's got a score to settle with these Bullet Club type guys, even though Anderson and Doc Gallows are not Bullet Club anymore, as Jay White made clear on Impact. Uh, so Moxley challenges them to a tag match and said that he's got a mystery partner who will, you know, tag with him on that show. So we got that match confirmed for a resurgence this week. Uh, already confirmed for a resurgence, we've got Jay White defending the Never Openweight title against David Finley. They built that up on Impact Wrestling this week. Thought that was pretty good. Really enjoying the stuff that Jay White is doing in Impact right now. It just feels important. The, the Bullet Club and Elite stuff and Fin Juice stuff, it just feels like the most important stuff that's happened in Impact in a very long time. Two other matches confirmed for Resurgence, Alex Coughlin versus Carl Fredericks, and uh, also a six-man tag with Fred Rosser, Rocky Romero, and Wheeler Utah going up against TJP, Clark Connors, and Ren Narita. Also, as it concerns New Japan Pro Wrestling and Impact, kind of, Tama Tonga and Carl Anderson had a very brief but notable Twitter interaction 
late last night slash early this morning. And it just started with Carl Anderson tweeting out a photo of the Elite Squad. So the Elite all dressed up in their Space Jam outfits. And then he photoshopped in a picture of Bugs Bunny and uh, Daffy Duck and the Tasmanian Devil. And Tomatonga, for some reason, decided to to take a shot at Carl Anderson here. So Tomatonga tweets out, I would argue with you, but we're past that. Your good brother philosophy is shallow deep. The day is coming. Interesting. To which Carl Anderson then responded, Don't do this, Tama. I've been holding off killing the Bullet Club for good. Please don't make me kill what I created. I'm begging you. And again, for the Elite versus Bullet Club, sometimes we see this feud pop up on social media but it doesn't always move into the wrestling ring. But now we've got Jay White in Impact. Now we've got this forbidden door open between AEW, New Japan, and Impact Wrestling. So the Good Brothers, the Young Bucks, Kenny Omega, Doc Gallows, Carl Anderson, Tama Tonga, Tongaloa, Jay White, Evil, uh, Hikaleo. These guys can all feud with each other in three different promotions amongst each other. But I don't really know if if Carl Anderson and Tama Tonga were trying to build up a pro wrestling feud or continuing a real one. That's not really that's not really clear. But I think if this feud is going to spill into the wrestling ring, it's gonna at least start in impact. Judging judging by what's been going on on their program lately. But we'll just have to see. All right, let's go over some of the top news items from WWE this week. On SmackDown last night, it was confirmed that John Cena and Roman Reigns will take place at SummerSlam. This all played out during a very interesting contract signing ceremony where evidently, if there is a contract for a Universal Championship match and it's in an official WWE binder, you just have to be the one to sign the contract. The contract doesn't have to actually mention you by name. Anyway, Cena managed to sign that contract, and now he'll be taking on Roman Reigns at SummerSlam, and not Finn Balor or Baron Corbin, who also tried to sign that contract. Also news out of SmackDown this week, Sasha Banks returned. This was very interesting. So Banks has been gone basically since WrestleMania. Maybe she stuck around for a show or two, but she returned to save Bianca Belair, which I think is great. So Bianca Belair was getting beaten down by Zelina Vega and Carmella. Sasha Banks' music hits. She runs in, makes the save, and Belair and Banks hugged in the ring. Belair first seemed a little like, hey, wait a second. You're my former opponent. I don't know about this. But then she warmed up. And so now Sasha Banks is back and it looks like Sasha has returned as a baby face and will be sort of aligned with Bianca Belair against the heels on SmackDown. So that's going on in WWE. Also news going on in WWE, Natalia was injured this week. So she was wrestling along with Tamina uh, and they were facing the team of Eva Marie and Dewdrop. Dewdrop was sort of 
doing a takedown slash pinning combination on onto Natalia. It looks like Natalia's leg got caught underneath her and got twisted. Natalia underwent surgery for the injury, but we still don't really know how long she's going to be out for. Everything that's been released has just been um, like sort of vague. Natalia was like, thanks everyone for the well wishes. I'm unbreakable, but she never said, she never said what her what the extent of her injury was or how long she's going to be out for. All we know is that she underwent surgery recently to have something to do with her ankle fix, and we don't know how long she's going to be out for. But Bret Hart wrote on Twitter. Wait, where'd it go? And now I can't find it. Bret Hart wrote on Twitter, I'm wishing to tell you a speedy reco recovery after her ankle surgery yesterday. I'm, look forward, I'm looking forward to her carrying on the Hart Foundation tradition of reigning as WWE tag champions. WWE is going to address Natalia's injury on Monday. So we should know more about that on Raw. They'll probably announce what's going on with the tag titles and then we'll know how long Natalia's going to be out for. Or, or I mean... She's going to be out for a little while. You don't have surgery on your ankle and jump right back in. Also, as it concerns Bret Hart, there was kind of a cool story concerning The Rock. The Rock was doing an interview with Screen Rant, and the interviewer was wearing a Bret the Hitman Hart t-shirt. And what's the name of this guy? Joseph Deckemeyer. Um wrote that Bret Hart took the time to explain the impact the Hitman had on his pro wrestling career to Emily Blunt. This is by far the greatest moment I've had doing this. Thank you, Rock. So he wears his Bret Hart t-shirt to interview The Rock. The Rock notices this, and he's got Emily Blunt there with him. So th this is to promote Jungle Cruise. Emily Blunt is his co-star in Jungle Cruise. Rock sees the Hitman shirt and says this to Emily Blunt. The t-shirt he's wearing is a guy who didn't have to be, but he was so good to me when I was a rookie professional wrestler, and his name is Bret the Hitman Hart. Comes from a very famous wrestling family, but at the time, he was world champion, and there were a lot of guys in that world at that time in 96 that didn't necessarily embrace me. And he continued, and then Emily Blunt asked why he thinks Bret was so nice to The Rock. The Rock said, I think because he knew that our families knew each other and knew that I came from a lineage of pro wrestling and that I had a real love and respect for wrestling, and he was just a great guy. I always try and give him props where I can. And The Rock would later write back, I appreciate the kind words. I hold The Rock and his family in very high regard, and it's been inspiring to watch his hard-earned success in wrestling Hollywood and beyond. And we're actually covering a lot of The Rock's rookie year in professional wrestling and Bret Hart's involvement in that on the Wrestling's Greatest War podcast. And we actually just talked about an episode of Raw where Bret Hart faced Rocky Maivia for the Intercontinental title in 1997. So that's up if you're interested in following along with wrestling from nearly 25 years ago. Uh, check us out on the Wrestling's Greatest War podcast. There was also an interview with Fandango this week that I thought was kind of interesting. Fandango was being interviewed by the Such Good Shoot podcast, and he talked about how he believes his ballroom dancing gimmick came about because 
Chris Jericho went on Dancing with the Stars. So Chris Jericho goes on Dancing with the Stars in 2011. The following year, Fandango is given the ballroom dancing gimmick and then defeats Chris Jericho at WrestleMania, what was that, 29? Yes, and then Fandango beats Chris Jericho at wrestling, WrestleMania 29. So Fandango's belief is that Vince McMahon saw Chris Jericho go on Dancing with the Stars and thought, I know, I'm going to create an evil ballroom dancer. And that ballroom dancer is going to feud with Chris Jericho. So Fandango said, it's a uh, so this is what Fandango said about his gimmick. He goes, it's a ridiculous character. Look at it this way, guys. So Vince thought it was probably stupid that Jericho went on Dancing with the Stars, right? Vince thought Brian Danielson was crazy to be a vegan. So anything that Vince thinks is stupid, he'll make a character out of. So he thought Chris going on Dancing with the Stars was stupid. So what is he going to do? He's going to make an evil dancing gimmick because he thinks it's outrageous. I thought that was very interesting about how Chris Jericho's time on Dancing with the Stars may have actually led to the creation of this ballroom dancing gimmick. There was also a couple of big updates from NXT this week. Samoa Joe versus Karrion Cross has been confirmed as the main event for TakeOver 36. They had this whole segment where Joe resigned from his, I don't know, bodyguard role, his enforcer role for William Regal's office. And then William Regal confirms that it'll be Joe versus Karrion Cross next week at TakeOver 36. Of course, Karrion Cross is still doing the stuff on the main roster. He defeated Keith Lee this week on the main roster. Speaking of Keith Lee, Keith Lee put out a tweet saying that he is going to tell us all the whole story. One of these, and in the next week or two, he's, he's going to put out the whole story about what's going on with him in WWE. And it's not really clear what is going on with Keith Lee in WWE. He was gone for the longest time. We're not really sure why. Maybe it had to do with an illness. Maybe it had to do with an injury. Who knows? We do know that since late last year, both WWE and Keith Lee have been trying to trademark the name Keith Lee. I find that particularly strange because Keith Lee's real name is Keith Lee. So how would WWE be able to trademark a guy's real name. I'm really looking forward to what Keith Lee decides to tweet out about his situation with WWE. All right, and before we go for this week, let's just go over the matches that have been confirmed for next week in professional wrestling. We'll start with a show that's taking place tonight in the Skyline Studios for Nashville, Tennessee, I know a lot of you guys listening to this right now, it'll, this show will already be passed. But for those of you who really jumped on it quick, Impact Wrestling prevent, presents Homecoming tonight from the Skyline Studios. And this show will feature the Homecoming King and Queen Tournament. So one male wrestler and one female wrestler will team up and it'll be an eight-team tournament. Here are the teams. So Hernandez and Alicia Edwards are a team. Deanna, and they will face Deanna Perrazzo and a mystery wrestler in the first round. Petey Williams and Jordine Grace, the fictional children of Scott Steiner, 
are going to take on the team of Matt Cardona and Chelsea Green. That's also in the first round. Uh, the team from Decay, Crazy Steve and Rosemary, will take on Tasha Steeles and Falaba. And then Rachel Ellering and Tommy Dreamer are going to team up. They are going to take on Brian Myers and a wrestler to be named later. Two other matches are booked for the show that aren't part of the tournament. There will be a hardcore match featuring W. Morrissey versus Eddie Edwards. They're going to continue their rivalry. Should be interesting to see who comes away from that, the winner. And also for the X Division Championship, Black Taurus is back in Impact Wrestling, and he will challenge Josh, Josh Alexander, the X Division title, tonight at Impact Homecoming. No pay-per-view on Sunday this week, so we go right into WWE Raw from the Allstate Arena in Chicago. As we had mentioned previously, they got about 13,000 tickets sold for this show. Two matches have been announced. Charlotte Flair will take on Nikki, almost a superhero, and Matt Riddle will take on Omos. That should be an interesting match. Riddle versus Omos? Yeah, I'll, I'll tune into that one. NXT is a bunch of stuff announced for Tuesday's show. <coughs> Excuse me. This is a uh, tape show that'll air Tuesday night. There's a lover or lever match featuring Johnny Gargano and Dexter Loomis. I guess the stipulation here being Loomis can can date Indy Hartwell so long as he defeats her father figure in, from the way in Johnny Gargano. Also on NXT this week, Joaquin Wilde and Raul Mendoza will team up and they will take on Hit Row, Ashanti Adonis, and Top Dalla. Cameron Grimes and L.A. Knight will team up to take on the grizzled young veterans stemming from their altercation on the golf course this week. The Diamond Mines' Roderick Strong will take on Bobby Fish. The Diamond Mines' Ikemen Yero will take on Ridge Holland. And in the NXT Breakout Tournament, Joe Gacy will take on Dre, Trey Baxter in the first round. That will then take us to AEW on Wednesday night. And we've got four matches announced for AEW Homecoming on August 4th from Daly's Place in Jacksonville. It's just going to be a few thousand there for this show. Obviously, AEW's spent over a year, a year and several months uh, in Daly's Place. So not a big crowd for their, for their return so soon after going up back on the road. But the big match being Malachi Black versus Cody Rhodes. Three other matches have been scheduled. However, the TNT title is on the line as Miro will defend against Lee Johnson. Christian Cage will defend against the Blade. And in a NWA Women's World Title Eliminator match, the Bunny will face Layla Hirsch. And, that's and with that, you are completely up to date with everything that's making headlines in the world of professional wrestling, aside from any information which could potentially spoil future shows for you. Thank you again for supporting the website and this podcast. I'm Gentleman Ian from Spoiler Free Wrestling.